Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two. It's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. We are 31 episodes strong. They haven't canceled us yet. I am your intrepid host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, uh, host of this podcast, Matt Brown. I am joined by my co-host, my colleague, my friend, Brian Fisher. And Brian, we are here today to talk about a conference near and dear to your heart, the Big West. Well, they they are not too far from from uh, where I live, so I, I wouldn't wouldn't be remiss if I, I didn't say I could talk about the Big West. But you know, I am within the the Pac-12 footprint, so I am I'm also glad to talk about the Pac-12, especially coming off uh, you know media days from there just a couple of weeks ago with with our next guest. Yeah, uh, we'll talk more about the Big West later. That 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 would be an extra points heavy kind of a podcast. But today we're going to talk about the Pac-12. We are continuing our conference preview series. We're trying to dig into not just you know, what's going to happen on the field, but, but what's happening from a, a 10,000 foot you know, state of play perception for each league, who are the important administrators, the important athletic directors, the coaches for us to be following as we head into this league. And I'm excited to talk about the Pac-12. And I'm going to mention this, uh, you know, during the interview, but I didn't watch very much Pac-12 football last year. And part of that is because I live in Chicago and uh, I'm 34 going on 70 and I have a bedtime. Uh, but also the Pac-12 didn't play that much. Um, not only did you have a truncated season, a lot of those teams had a lot of COVID outbreaks. Some of them only played a handful of games. And, and a lot of them, you know, but at that time of the year, were, were way lower profile than what was happening with the SEC, ACC, or the Big Ten. And so literally, as I'm trying to sit here, or if I go on a radio show and they're like, yeah, you know, tell me about what's going on with the Pac-12. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to re- – I, I remember Arizona State, you know, laying siege to Arizona and winning by about 700 points. I remember a, a couple of stupid USC games, not a whole lot else. And so I'm, I'm glad to bring in somebody who knows this league very, very well on, on, all, on all different levels. We're going to chat here with our friend Bruce Feldman of The Athletic and of Fox Sports to better understand everything that's happening right now within one of America's most interesting conferences. Bruce, th- thanks so much for taking some time here to chat with us. I, I, I want to lead here with a a similar question that I think we've been asking for so many other uh, folks that cover conferences because it seems like almost every conference commissioner is relatively new and that the Pac-12 comes in and they they bring in somebody that I didn't I, I hadn't heard of and I don't think Brian knew terribly well and I knew was was new to almost everybody that colors college, covers college athletics. I'm wondering now that it's been a couple of weeks what do what do folks within the the Pac-12 extended universe Think about their their new leadership. How how is this different from what they had under Larry Scott? Well, I think the start is different from talking to people in the league. Is the issue with Larry and I think Brian, having worked there, could echo this probably even better than me. Was he he doesn't know what he doesn't know, and the issue I feel like was always struggling to keep the main thing the main thing. It's those are cliches, but those are things that are very applicable to his leadership not to say it was all bad but there was a lot of issues now i think what has been promising for the new commissioner george klyovkov is that he has made a point with his listening tour that he's starting to go on that he's trying to find out what he doesn't know um and from the people who were having a big and uh involvement in his hire, I think the thing that they really were impressed by was he has a lot of experience and has handled a lot of significant change very well in operating in change. And obviously, there's a lot of change right now going on in college athletics. So 
he seems to be very well positioned experience wise, at least to, to jump into it. But, you know, look, there was more change that came down the pipeline as it relates to college athletics than I think any of them anticipated in the last month. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because the SEC made the news official that the OU and Texas were moving to the league literally, you know, half an hour before he stepped on stage at Pac-12 Media Day. You know, I, I'm curious, he, he just recently met with with Bob Bullsby. What is kind of the state of affairs when it comes to the Pac-12 with regard to alignment? I don't think anybody's expecting any moves in the short term, but where, where does the conference kind of stand as uh, we enter kind of a new era in the Power Five? Right. So from the Big 12's perspective, I think they know they need to be as proactive as they can be after being blindsided by the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma. As it relates to, for lack of a better term, the leftovers of that league, which are the ones who do not have the, the kind of TV viewing audience leverage that Texas and OU have. So now they're looking at, okay, what do we do from here? How do we salvage the best we can going forward? And if you look at the Pac-12, it's certainly not in the in the SEC. It's certainly not the Big Ten, especially as the Big Ten, from everything we've heard from people around that league and in that league, is they've clung to the academic component, which, let's be realistic, some of those other schools left in the Big 12, they don't have that kind of connection for them. So if you can talk about, and, and George K. brought, you know, mentioned, used this term before um, and in a conversation I had with him was cultural fit. I don't know how that necessarily is going to work or would work for the PAC 12, but I think they were, he's open to have these discussions, which obviously they had when he met with Bowlesby. I think the thing that they have to sort out is, okay, what are our biggest assets here? Which obviously USC uh, because of its brand appeal, even if USC is a little down right now is its biggest chip. And what do they do with that? You have big markets, right? You know, University of Washington in a big market, obviously Stanford and Cal in a big market, UCLA, USC in a big market, ASU, big market, uh, CU. So I think those are resources um, that they have. I think what he needs to make sure of is that I think he needs to make sure that everybody who is in the league he is now running is on board with everything. You know, if USC decides, hey, maybe it's better for us to look at things differently because, and, and maybe the way things are set up, because I know from talking to some AZs in the Big 12, they, had, they were under the impression, and this is going back, it was at Big 10 Media Days, I know when I spoke to them, so that was about um, three weeks ago, was this is as stable as the Big 12 has been, they felt like, in 10 years. Well, obviously, it wasn't that stable. They also came after they got blindsided by the the Texas and OU potential leave that, well, if this is about TV revenue and TV split, we, we're, that's an easy fix. We'll, let's talk about that. So out here in Southern California, if USC, if that's something that they want to um, effort and, and leverage, I think the rest of the league would probably have to have a dialogue about it right now. Because, again, their relationships are different necessarily than, than OUs and, and Texas. But what we've seen is this is a survival of the fittest. It is a very cutthroat model. And all these potentially are on the table. 
Yeah, I you know I'd like to talk a little bit more specifically about USC because I, I why well, I think you're right that the relationship between USC and the rest of the Pac-12 isn't the same as Texas and OU, maybe the rest of the Big 12. There, there are certainly some similarities, and USC hasn't been afraid to throw around its weight historically within that league. That's part of why the Arizona schools are in that conference. That's why you've seen other changes there before. And you know, before the end of the Larry Scott era, I remember USC's athletic director saying, like, hey. Everything's on the table. We're not saying that we're looking to leave, but we're, we're willing to examine all potential options. Do, do you, have you gotten a sense for what USC's priorities are at this point or how they're looking at evaluating everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks? Or is, is it still kind of quiet in Los Angeles? Um, there's been a little chatter. I don't know how I would categorize you know, some of the smaller conversations about as they look at the landscape going, can we remain competitively financially with the potential disparity that could be coming down the pipeline with new SEC deal, potentially big 10 deal and where that TV money is going. And if there's a gulf between the money coming into those schools and coming into USC, um, I find it, I find it kind of a stretch to think USC will be left so far behind financially that they couldn't compete because of the resources USC has. But I think that is a discussion that they're having as they're trying to project where this is headed. And they have a different, um, you know, like a lot of stuff has happened in the last, you could go 12 years or so from back towards the Mike Garrity or where USC would look at it and go, okay, you know, maybe USC fans and even some people who work in the building may have felt a certain way, a little aggrieved. Hey, we're, we're carrying water for everybody else here and they're, you know, they're making more of the decisions. I don't, I don't know where um, the, the people who make the most, who carry the most weight at USC really feel about that. I mean, remember, like you talk about turnover, USC's leadership isn't that um, entrenched there. Carol Folt only got right. there not that long ago. Uh, Mike Bone, the AD, is, is, I mean, it's not like he's brand new, but. He's pretty, pretty new. And, yeah. and they had some other issues at USC at the highest level that are bigger than their football team that exactly. required attention too. Yes. And those scandal issues, it's not like those all of a sudden, like somebody snapped their fingers and they're gone. You know, those are issues that I think are still being still being sorted out. They're also, you know, a lot of this really happened not that long before the pandemic hit. So I don't yeah. know how, how proactive people have been able to be in the last, whatever it is, 16 months to address those issues. That's a lot of stuff to unpack. So I don't, I don't know how, how, um, how nimble USC could be, even if it wants to be at this point. You, you, there's, one other aspect of whether that's USC or kind of the whole existential question about the Pac-12 that you alluded to there about, listen, there's a revenue gap. It's hard to imagine a world where USC isn't going to be at least somewhat competitive, even if the SEC or the Big Ten schools are returning 10, 15, 20 plus million dollars more a year. That's a school with rich boosters, rich alumni, massive media market, tons of history. And when I'm looking at the history of, of really college football at West, there's been a enthusiasm gap and a revenue gap for decades. I'm, I'm wondering from your conversations, you know, there's not going to reach revenue parity necessarily with, with the big 10. How close do you really have to get it, you know, in action or for, for that to be meaningful to what, what extent are PAC 12 schools 
unable to do the things that they really need to do to be successful right now? Do you need to get within 10 million? Is, is, is it closer or is, is this more um, a nice to have rather than a, a requirement to have? I really think it's more of a nice to have than a requirement. I mean, are they like, I, I, I don't think the thing that right now is holding USC back isn't the money. It's basically USC couldn't get out of its own way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, like, if you were to ask most people around college athletics, most people around college sports, is Clay Helton one of the 15 best coaches in the country? I don't know if anybody would say that. I don't even know if they'd say he's one of the top 30 best coaches in college football. Some people wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. It's it, oh. it's it's hard to even remember what the guy looks like. Right. So you have a you have a nice man by all accounts who was an adult yeah. when they needed an adult because they were coming off like all kinds of tumult but i think that's the biggest issue i really think it's like he's been on the hot seat for about three years you know it's it's he did not have a strong recruiting class two years ago and then last year he shook up the staff they were very you know they had an aggressive recruiting staff they did a much better job of developing relationships and it seems like they are more on track now but that that recruiting class that it seems like they missed on you know, that's still got to be at the core of what this team is. How good are they on the yeah. offensive line? How deep are they on the defensive line? And so say all that to get to this, whereas like they're good enough to beat anybody in the Pac-12 without and, and they're good enough to beat most of these teams without their A game. Um, but they're not good enough to beat the top 10 teams in the country. By the way, they didn't play any of those teams last year because there was no uh, non-conference scheduling, right. As you guys know. So I think the tricky thing for them is, you know, do you fire him if he goes nine and three or 10 and three? Probably not. Um, but then they're in this kind of odd middle ground. I don't really think, you know, let's say he goes nine and four next year. They might like, if they knew, let's say they could land Matt Campbell, um, who I think is going to have a really big year, probably as good a year. He's just come off the best season in Iowa State history. They're positioned yep. in terms of who they return back to make a to the preseason number eight. I think they will do. I think that's what they will be a top ten team. If that happens, back to back top ten years, um, USC. If they knew they could get Matt Campbell, and if it came down to how much money would it take to get Matt Campbell and to get Matt Campbell the coaching staff he wants. I don't think USC would be like, well, yeah, we don't have money for this. I think, That's I think my thought. you know, like to me, I think USC has enough big money people where they can make stuff happen. They have enough big money people where they can do a lot of things under the umbrella of NIL in a LA market where they have some, some, some resources that other programs do not have. So I, you know, I'm skeptical that they will be left behind if, if, they have, you know, their ducks in a row. Well, we've just been talking about so much about the perception of USC nationally, certainly, and, and how it relates to the Pac-12. You know, I, I'm curious, you, you look at, at the conference itself, it, it's certainly been left out of the playoff mix, left out of that playoff talk. Yes, Oregon's kind of been on, on the outside looking in. Uh, you had Washington a couple of years ago. How important is it for the Pac-12 as a whole to not only have USC become USC again, but get back into the playoff mix and, and firmly, uh, you know, have their reputation restored a little bit uh, on the national stage? I think it's vital because to me, if USC was the same thing it had been under Pete Carroll, 
I don't think a lot of these issues with Larry Scott would have bubbled to the level they did. I think all of it yeah. came down to like if, if Ohio State, when they had that year where Luke Fickle was the interim and they really just were a mess. And if they had ended up hiring somebody else who wasn't Urban Meyer and that person did a bunch of eight and fours and nine and threes, you know, yeah, probably Jim Harbaugh maybe gets more traction. I think James Franklin probably does. I don't think the big 10 is the same way because that is a, that is a huge heavyweight program. And if it's not operating at a top five level, if it's underwhelming, that undermines the rest of rest of the conference. I mean, look what's happened. The ACC, you know, thankfully for them, Clemson has been committed to it and Dabo Sweeney's going to do a good job. But like Miami and Florida State have not been what Miami and Florida State used to be. And, you know, nobody talks about the ACC as as anywhere near the best conference in college football. I mean, they have some some good programs, but yeah. nothing it's like worse that. than the Pac-12. Yeah. And and I think people still look at it as a basketball league. If Miami was what Miami was 20 years ago, Florida State was what Florida State was 20 years ago. And then Clemson got going, that league would rival any league. But it but they're they've not been that way. So I think that's what happens when your heavyweights um go through really bad stretches. You know, it's interesting because, you know, when we, George Klyovkov was first hired, one, one of the first things he ever said in, in his opening press conference was playoff expansion, playoff expansion. He, he mentioned it again at, at Media Day. Where Where is the Pac-12 in terms of expansion now that everybody's kind of saying, hey, hey, wait a minute, let, let's take a pause um, yeah. because of what's happening with between the Big 12 and, and certainly with, you know, Greg Sankey and the SEC leading that charge. Is the Pac-12, obviously they're, they're pro-expansion because it guarantees them a spot, but can, can they afford to wait three or four years, uh, you know, to kind of hit pause on this expansion process? Or or do they need that now, not just from a revenue standpoint, but from a prestige factor? I think they, they're kind of caught in that middle ground. They need it. But also, I think from talking to some people, um, influential people around the sport, I think there's feeling that like, hey, we it would probably behoove us to get more TV partners to the table and, and possibly more than just ESPN and potentially Fox, they, they needed, you know, and this is the conversation I had with somebody last week who was like, they need to become more like the NFL and crank things up because right now you are leaving money on the table. If you're just not bringing it to market because, you know, Greg Sankey right now, like basically that's what they did with the SEC network deal. It ended up just basically the SEC went, didn't really go to market. It just went right to ESPN and I think that that is the way things started to look like they were going. And I think there are people who are around the sport going, hey, wait a minute. Um, should we be trying to bring in other potential suitors here that can bring in a lot more money for us? Because they look at how it was on the NFL side. I mean, I talked to a consultant last week who, who was like, you guys need to you guys need to look at this more, meaning like the people who are writing about it, that's not getting discussed enough. And so we'll see if that gets more momentum. I mean, that was something got pointed out to me last week. And, you know, I don't know, we're in such a interesting time from t- from a TV broadcasting side and that transition as well. Um, I, you know, I don't have a lot of answers. I mean, I work for Fox Sports and obviously I think that you know, full disclosure, I work there, but it's at the same time, I think there's a lot of things that, that 
um, you know, a CBS out of the picture entirely once their SEC deal goes away? Are there streaming companies that have a lot of money that are going to say, hey, we want to be a big factor in this? Um, what does NBC feel about this? Um, I don't think, yes, I think Greg Sankey is going to have the biggest stick in the room when it comes to to swinging at this pinata, but I'm not sure he's going to have the only one now because there's a lot of people who do not trust him in the room. If I'm Bob Bowlesby, I don't know how you look at him the same way. He basically gutted Bob Bowlesby's business, you know, without, you know, like sitting across the table from him under the guise of something else. I mean, to me, that's the most fascinating subplot of all this. You know, it, it's, we just had a couple of days ago, the, the huge NCAA you know, gender equity report that came out about the women's basketball tournament. And one of the major takeaways, I think, from reading that is this consultant recommendation that by not ta- aggressively taking the rest of the postseason tournaments to market, that the NCAA is potentially leaving tens of millions of dollars, if not more, on the table for women's basketball, college baseball, softball, wrestling. If that's true, it does seem reasonable to assume that that might also be true for your most valuable entity, period. Do you, do, you, do you want to take it to market to at least see if three or four other companies want to sniff that part of it? To say nothing of the uh, the interpersonal subplot within the SEC and the influence of one broadcasting company or or one particular conference. I, I, can, I could imagine that being brought up in, oh, in some of these conversations. I, I absolutely think it will. Like I said, if, if the consultant I spoke to felt strongly enough about it and like, hey, this element has been overlooked in the discussions of this, I don't think it's going to be overlooked for that long. Sure. Speaking of overlooked, as I'm as I'm sitting here, you know, you know, prepping for this, trying to think about the, what the actual football product's going to look like. Um, it was difficult for me to even think of that many especially memorable moments on the field for Pac-12 teams because I didn't watch very many of them. This was a truncated season. A lot of those games were canceled. I'm based in Chicago, and so some of the games that were played were at you know at midnight, and I didn't see them. As we're trying to project what this league might look like for this coming season, I know that there's a little bit of a burn-the-tape element for most college football teams. Is that especially true from the Pac-12, or was there something that you watched last year that you think gives you a meaningful clue for what – the league might look like this year? You know, I don't, I think it's closer to what you said because look, on one hand, USC, which probably was the most talented team in the South, they had a game where they were lucky they beat Arizona, you know. And Arizona State, if I remember right. Yeah, right? Arizona like, State, yeah. I think was like, Arizona State by the end of the year was a team that beat Arizona by 63 points. Like I'm just talking about like, yeah. Arizona was yeah, the game. worst team in the league. Yet they almost, they probably should have beaten USC or at least had them on the ropes. Um, yeah. You know, with all the, I think that there were so many, and you could say this about a bunch of a bunch of programs, but I think there was just so many. Um, you know, Cal. I remember they played a game where it's just kind of like, I don't know how how prepared you can be when everything was just circling around them the way it was. So I don't know if I would read that much into the twenty twenty results. Um, to spring forward, I do think, you know, Oregon's going to be a really interesting team because of how Mario Cristobal has recruited there. Um, we'll see how Anthony Brown does. He's played a lot at BC. If he can, um, lead them, Joe Moorhead, new, obviously new coordinator. Um, the, the South to me is more, is even more intriguing because of USC. While I don't know how good their offensive line is, they definitely have some, some frontline talent and Keaton Slovis has played a lot. Uh, at quarterback, Arizona State, who a lot of people probably would have looked at as the trendy team, they're engulfed in a full-blown scandal. And 
you know, I don't know, like we know the AD Ray Anderson would love to keep Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce in position, but the idea that three basically entry-level assistants who were not making much money would be like, uh, this would be the brainchild of, of like how they are pulling off, you know, involved in a recruiting scandal and how they're doing it with cash. That doesn't pass a smell test at all. That's going to go up higher than where they're at. You yeah. have Utah, which is always seems to be at their best when people are kind of forget about them a little because people don't always speak, you know, like gush about necessarily line play or defensive play, but that's been a Kyle Whittingham staple. And then there's to me UCLA, which this is year four. You have a lot of guys who've played a lot of football for them. They, I know they're excited about Zach Charbonnet coming back. He's a California kid who was at Michigan and Dorian Thompson Robinson played a lot. Is this the year they break through? Um, so I'm fascinated to see what the, the product on the field looks like. I feel like you have a bunch of pretty good teams. I don't know if there's anybody that's very good. And, yeah. you know, unlike most years where there's always been some elite quarterback or two out here, you know, I know Dorian's talented. I don't know if he's going to be that guy. Jaden Daniels, similarly. But again, what's the dark cloud like around that program? Um, you know, Slovis, there was more buzz about him a year ago. And then he had really a... An, kind of an underwhelming year and for a bunch of reasons. And, you know, was that just a, a one-off because of a lot of crazy stuff was going on or is, you know, I don't know. I mean, so there's a, it's really just an interesting league. I don't think there's anybody I look at and say, Oh yeah, they're definitely a top five playoff contender. I think Oregon, because they're they have big athletic people, but they have a lot of big athletic people who haven't played that much football. I, that's a good point. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it in this explicit terms, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure that I could tell you exactly who the best quarterback is going to be in this league. I could think of like four or five that should be good. Um, and by the at the end of the year, maybe it's even somebody at Washington. Maybe maybe it's somebody we're, we're not even talking about right now that ends up being the most the most successful. I I, I did want to quickly ask one other kind of scandal adjacent question. You know, be, beyond Arizona State, where yeah, losing three. Uh, coaches this close to the season, I feel like would have to impact things on the field. But um, the situation at Washington State is 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 something that I, it was not what I would have predicted uh, we would be talking about with, with Nick Rolovic this at this stage in his career. You have some pretty clear tension between your uh, your university president, your athletic director, even your governor. You know, kind of you know making statements here about what kind of leadership are you showing by not getting vaccinated, by by drawing all the attention here to yourself. You already had some kind of strange off the field stuff with COVID and letting people in our you know be, being a part of the program or not opting out. Is, is he gonna is he gonna coach this entire season? Is is this is this uh, an experiment that's going to end prematurely, or is there a way to turn this around successfully? Yeah, this has surprised me the direction it's gone. I thought he was the. A, an ideal hire to move forward from the Mike Leach time off a scheme wise. Yeah. I also thought, you know, he's quirky. He's, he's, he can be pretty funny and self-effacing. Um, he's a creative thinker. Um, and then as you mentioned, like, I remember the, the COVID story you're talking about, I think it was also connected to the um, player empowerment movement out of the PAC 12. And it was just like, I don't know the, the explanation and the way it was addressed from him, I thought was, you know, was at, at best curious and maybe more than that, just a little bit, um, I don't know, just awkward. And yeah. now this, 
like, you know, Brian, you were out at Pac-12 Media Days like me and just like seeing him, you know, on that video, it just, it was so bizarre, right? And I don't know how good of a team he has right now. I don't think Leach exactly left the cupboard loaded either. So it, when when you have the sequence of things that he had um, go on in the last couple of weeks, coming off of, like you said, the school president says what he says, um, there's a lot of weird stuff that's there. I don't know what this would mean to his contract if they wanted to get rid of him. Um, I do think this is bigger than winning wins and losses right now. And honestly, yeah, I, you know, unfortunately for him or fair or unfair, I mean, he took over essentially right when the pandemic was about to hit and he did some things where I thought in the community and before everything hit, which I thought were, or like early in the pandemic, which I thought he went to social media and, you know, like helping businesses out. I thought those things were really good outreach moves. But this now, I think people are going to struggle to get past it. And I don't know how they put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, You know, if he gets off to a great start, does that make them feel much better? I'm not sure. Like, you know, this is one where it was like, I I think his, his, tenure there is tenuous just because of when it reaches the level it reaches i don't know i don't know how comfortable they are going to be say hey this is the guy we want to lead our program well if, if anybody knows tricky situations with the coaches it probably is pat chun who, who has not only worked with lane kiffin and had inherited carl Pellini back in the day and he, he's had some some tricky situations <laughs> I, for, I forgot about carl Pellini. yeah i don't yeah, know if you that's like, a good point um brian and i were i think i think you were with me i remember we were talking to him about like who are the head coaches you had and i forgot about carl Pellini. i knew charlie partridge who was a good d-line coach he that was the, that was one he um he had at FAU and then he obviously he had Lane and then he gets to Washington state and he inherits Leach and now, and then he has Nick Rolovich. I mean, you know, Charlie Partridge is the one who like people are like, Oh, you know, just like everybody else is wild card at, to this, to, you know, capital, you know, capital W. Yeah. It, it's, it's wild to, to look at his background and, you know, it's not the only hot seat situation in the, in the league. Certainly we've mentioned Arizona state. Um, every, nobody really kind of knows what's going to happen with, with Herm and the rest of that staff. Uh, I'm curious, you also have situations, let's face it, every hot seat list in the country in, in 2021 starts with USC and Clay Helton. What is kind of the state of things in, around the league beyond kind of those three situations is, is Chip Kelly feeling some pressure? Is it, are there others out there that we're not considering? Yeah. I mean, look, it's year four. It's not the AD who hired him. I think the expectations are, you know, if he goes and they go um, seven and five, I don't think that's something he's going to be happy with, but I don't think anyone's going to go, oh, they're going to pull the plug. I mean, it's UCLA. It's not Auburn. Um, And I think (laughs) that would show improvement. I think people feel like, okay, things have settled in a little there. Um, uh, you know, I agree with you with Clay Helton. I think that situation, Herm, they love Herm, but he's got a scandal that's kind of raging right now in the program. And there's a lot of people who used to work there where I don't think are going to be shy about talking to the NCA about what has gone on there under his leadership. So I think that's a, a real thing. Um, after that, you know, David Shaw is very stable. Justin Wilcox can be a Cal, I think, as long as he wants to be. 
you know, I think Carl Durrell had a, you know, quietly had a very nice debut season, it, you know, amid, you know, it wasn't like he was there very long. I mean, he was hired late and, in a pandemic and he had a really nice year. Um, obviously, Kyle Whittingham is, you know, can is just, you know, synonymous with that program. I think the ones it's like, it's, it's really at USC. I think there's also, um, you know, kind of a, kind of really a, I don't know. The one with the one we just talked about with Washington State is the one that I would keep an eye on, just because when it, it it's it's bigger than football there in terms of how comfortable they are with with who they lead. And I don't know, like my read on Nick Rolovich is he's pretty strong will personality, not unlike Leach to some degree. And I think if I'm not saying like if he's backed into a corner you know, what he would do necessarily, but I don't think, um, you know, I, I, my read on him is if he felt like he was not being supported, um, I don't know if he would, you know, feel like, I think he could read through it and go, you know, maybe this isn't the right situation for me. And then it just you know, maybe he goes and becomes somebody's, you know, quarterback coach in the NFL or, you know, people think he's, He's, you know, he first of all, he's a really good evaluator of talent. I know this from some of the guys he's been the first one to offer. I mean, he's definitely got a lot of attributes in terms of as a on the field coach. So, um, I, you know, I think he's a, he's a very interesting guy and I, I'm curious to see how this situation is going to unfold in the next couple months. So you mentioned Rolo. He was one of three new coaches in, in 2020, a, a bit of a kind of a, a year zero situation with, with Carl Durrell and, and really, a we kind of don't know about Jimmy Lake. You know, there were certainly some flashes uh, out of his program, you know, would have played in the Pac-12 title game had they been, uh, you know, not had their COVID issues. Jed Fish comes in in, in 2021, the only real change. What what do you kind of expect from Arizona moving forward under him? And, and of those other new guys uh, that are kind of going into a more of a stable situation in, in, in year two, um, what are some of the new programs uh, that we can kind of get our, get our hands around and, and see what they, they can become? I think if Jed Fish can get them to four wins, considering their schedule doesn't set up all that well, they, the the probably the the least talented teams they all have to go play them on the road, not at home. If he gets them to four wins, I think that's a huge first season because off the field wise, he's done everything about as well as you could hope to do to get a a, a fan base and a community and a football uh, family unified. So I think it seems like recruiting is is definitely but on the uptick there. It's now let's see what happens when they actually play games. Um, if he can keep them competitive and get them to four and eight, I think that Arizona football would be pretty excited about where that's going. Um, Jimmy Lake at Washington uh, is, you know, like in some ways, I think Oregon has taken all the spotlight for them. And maybe that's a good thing for Jimmy Lake. If they get the offense going and that's a big question, we'll see how Dylan Morris does. It's not like they're going to, you know, hang your hat on the skill talent they have. I think they have some good big, big people on both lines. Jimmy Lee, Jimmy Lake's a great defensive coach and especially secondary coach. I think they'll be really good there. The question is they got to get better, a lot better on offense. I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not, overly confident that they're going to make a pro, you know, a significant improvement there. If they do, you know, then that team, that program has a chance to really, um, 
really kind of build off it. If not, I feel like people in recruiting, especially on offense, but even, you know, a lot of the people around, around the PAC 12 footprint are kind of taking a wait and see approach with Washington and seeing, you know, he followed a great coach in Chris Peterson. Um, I think people think he will do a really good job. It's just, uh, I think they need something really good to happen on offense. Just not saying that if they don't, he's going to be on the hot seat. I don't believe that. I just think what is the identity of there? Like, I think they need to establish that this year. Yeah. Well, the I, 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 Part of that, I imagine, also just speaks to the fact that the, the nation didn't get a chance to see a ton of Washington football last year anyway. The, your, your ability to make a big debut or, or make a big lasting impression. America had a couple other things on their minds. And the you know, again, 2020 was, was weird. So more eyes on it this year. Um, one of the other things that I think is a little bit unique about this conference, we've been asking this from everybody that we've been talking to, is that when you get away from the, from the football coaches – the, the important athletic directors, the important university presidents that are shaping policy are not always necessarily the ones at the highest profile institutions in the conference. And USC, I think, is a good example of this. We were talking earlier. This is a, an administration at, from president to AD on down that's relatively new and dealing with a bunch of other things. If I'm reading everything correctly, it seems like one of the more important presidents, the more involved presidents in this conference has been you know, President Schultz at Washington State. And you haven't seen as much of that direct leadership from the Los Angeles schools. Is, is that is that accurate? Are there other kind of behind the scenes voices that are particularly important right now for this conference? No, I think that's the case. And look, when there was there was a certain kind of block of power that you'd have before, um, you know, you know, here's Arizona State, here's Oregon State showing maybe outsized influence relative to that. But as you said, USC had bigger fish to fry at that point because it's mired in scandal and you have all sorts of, you know, turnover there. And so I think there's an element of that. I, I do feel like, you know, Washington has in Gen Cohen, I feel like it has strong leadership. And that is a that is a university that is not like that's a that is a flagship program in the Pac-12. I think Rob Mullins you know, also at Oregon, similarly, it's just, again, some of these things are, there's a little bit of a common thread. It's USC, um, USC kind of shrieking around a little bit. And I don't think that's going to, I don't think USC is going to stay spinning its wheels for forever or for that much longer. But right now that's kind of where it feels like we're, we're at with them. Sure. The, the, the last question that I, I think that, that I have here also that we've, we've brought to the other experts with conferences. And maybe this is the more loaded question given what's happening in the Pac-12 right now, but where would you see this league in five years? Do you think the membership is the same? Do you think the the kind of national reputation of this conference is the same? Will college football Twitter have another one-note joke uh, for for another league? Or do you think this is going to be a a continuation of how we perceive the Pac-12 to be right now? I do think that the Pac-12 will be better than in five years. And I think... I think it's largely because of the Southern California schools. I don't think like, I don't think UCLA is going to, is going to be a three win team. I really do think that they are close to turning the corner. And I'm not saying in 2021, they're going to go 10 and two, but I could see them going eight and four this year. And I think that's something where they can kind of build on. I don't think whether Clay Helton's going to be the guy, be the guy still there or not three years from now, if he is, 
he must have done something right to because sooner or later they're going to go. Yeah, we can't keep him at nine and three either. Like if they do not have a top ten season in the next two years, I don't see them holding Pat. I think there's going to be so much frustration from the money people. They're going to go. Okay, what's going to take to get you know whether it's Mario Cristobal or Matt Campbell. There's going to take somebody who gets their fan base and their money yeah. people excited. And when that happens, like I have no doubt whoever that, whether it's one of those two guys that they would come in and energize the program in a different way. Um, now look, maybe, maybe that, um, Clay Helton has the right combination now in terms of the staff he put together and maybe, maybe they will get it done. Um, I don't know. I just like, I'm not as confident in that. I don't think they will be awful, but I like, I feel like they're going to be kind of eight and four. And I feel like USC yeah. right now, their fan base is not going to be happy with eight and four enough where I think they're going to say, Hey, you know, what can we do? to pry Matt Campbell out of Ames, Iowa, or to go get Mario Cristobal if he has Oregon, you know, another Pac-12 title, because he's going to want to bring, like those guys are going to want to run the football and they're going to want to be really physical. I'm not saying Clay Helton doesn't want to be physical. I mean, he's the son of an offensive line coach, but I do think, um, you know, for a lot of USC people, a lot of other fan bases are, you know, very excited about like throwing the football around and everything and whether it's called an air raid or not. But I just, USC fans, I think there's USC fans, USC former players. I don't think, you know, as much as they may like Graham personally, I don't think they love that system. And so, you know, I just feel like that's, that's the the thing for them. This is, this is the school of of what student body, right? Right. This is the, this was one of the, the, the last adherence to a pro style system when everybody else was, was going air raid. It's, uh, you know, maybe more so than any other team in this conference outside of, I mean, maybe Utah where there's so much of an entrenched identity is just physically dominating people in a way that maybe that isn't the case at some other institutions. So if that's not how you're winning, I can see how, how people wouldn't be thrilled with that. You know, kind of like a, almost like a West coast Michigan sort of situation in, 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 in some respects with at least how fans might perceive how they want to win rather than just winning in that Michigan, you know, Michigan fans love their history, but at the same time, Ohio state was always, the one A to their one B or the one one B to their one A. Nobody was that way with USC. Like USC, nobody is positioned in their conference to dominate it the way USC is positioned to do it. So like they don't like you, you know, like on the outside, you may feel that way. And maybe a lot of people may feel that way. And USC people do not feel that way. And so that's fair. You know, I, I think, and it's it's unfortunate that for Clay Helton in some regard because I do think there are some things that he does not get credit for he he accomplished especially for a program that was in complete uh, disarray and he brought stability and he did some really good things I just think um, you know sometimes it doesn't end well usually it doesn't end well. Yeah, that's that. That's kind of how it goes if you're if you're a football coach. We, we you, you generally don't get to leave on your own terms. No. Um, Bruce, this, this, this was ex- extremely illuminating and helpful. Thank you so much for spending some time to chat with us here today. Thank you, guys. It was good talking to you. I feel like, Brian, if there was one theme of that conversation, much to the chagrin of fans of any other Pac-12 program, 
USC is really still the big deal in this league. And and if this team, if this was a ten and two team that was regularly winning some big out of conference games instead of an eight and four team that wasn't, I feel like we're a lot of stuff we're saying here is going to sound a lot different, huh? I, I completely agree. And I mean, I think that USC brand. I, I mean, look, it, it resonates so much broader than just the fat Pac twelve footprint. You go into the SEC, you know, they know USC. You know, they not just from the Pete Carroll days, but, you know, going back to the, the 50s and 60s and 70s, this has been a powerhouse program. And, and one of the sports true blue bloods, they're, they're located in Los Angeles. Um, you know, the the, the only West Coast blue blood, really. Yeah, I mean, th- there is a level of expectation and and, and certainly a, a history of, of competing for championships, you know, at, at the program. And, you know, the last couple of years have been rocky. There's no doubt about it. But USC has gone through a number of rocky periods. And, you know, the, the conference perception overall has has dipped and, and waxed and waned uh, along with it. And, you know, certainly for the Pac-12 itself to be at at, at, at the, its height, it needs USC to be that that brand that kind of leads them out, you know, much like the, you know, the, the Big Ten needs Ohio State and Michigan to lead the way, much like the Big 12, as currently constructed, needs Texas and Oklahoma to, to lead the way. And, uh, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, really where where the rest of the league goes and, and how and how they do deal with that importance at USC. And let's face it, USC, is as we've just mentioned uh, and with, with Bruce there, they've been going through their own sets of issues these last couple of years. There's There's been between medical school scandals, between water polo crimes, um, which is I, I recognize that that's a, a, a very important, serious, but it's, it's also hilarious. Like I can't think of any more USC uh, potential problem than water water polo fraud. Um, and then you 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 also have, you know, maybe unlike with the Big Ten or unlike with some of these other places, the other flagship programs for the other sports have by and large not done what they're supposed to do. I mean, UCLA had a, a great finish in the NCAA men's tournament. The Pac-12 has has been elite for at women's basketball, but you're also expecting some of the depth from the rest of this conference and other sports to to demonstrate its mettle. And that hasn't really happened. And then you had the world's easiest punching bag as your conference commissioner and a bunch of other things go wrong. And next thing you know, over the last six years, arguably the most consistently successful athletic department within the the more highest profile sports has been Utah. And no disrespect to the Utes, like if that's your if that's your league's flagship like program on the field, uh, you done messed up. And uh, th- this will be a, a good a good year to test that, I guess, because I mean, like I kind of alluded, I'm not really sure what we're going to see on the field. Utah might be great. I don't know who their quarterback is going to be, and neither does Kyle Whittingham. Arizona State might be great, or they might end up in in, in NCAA jail, and and it, that scandal is kind of unique because it's it's not just about a recruit getting petty cash. Because I feel like I speak for most of the college football internet under forty when I say like, who cares? And it's not like the NCAA is super equipped to punish that, but repeatedly and wantonly breaking COVID protocol, especially as our country hurdles towards another like rise of that virus. That's actually capital B bad. And that's something that like a university president can't really overlook the way that they might McDonald's bags full of cash. So we don't know what's going to happen there. We don't know what's going to happen in L.A. I don't know what's going to happen with Washington. So if you like craziness, that could be exciting. Um, and it could be exciting or, or, or boring. I, I don't I don't know. This this is the league more than any other power conference where. I feel like I have the the, the least certainty of, of potential outcome on a number of different levels. 
I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I, when at Pactual Media Day, we were asking around, you know, who, who did you, who would you have voted for, you know, to, to win the South or the North? And, and yeah, everybody overwhelmingly voted for Oregon in, in the North. But in the South, you got 15 different answers, you know, and, and, and a lot of that came down to uh, the uncertainty at ASU. You know, I think I, I would be in the camp that would have picked ASU to win the South if not for everything that is going on in Tempe right now. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, that's worth at least a game on the field, right? Like, I mean, I mean, when you have three assistant coaches who are, you know, not only heavily involved in, in, in recruiting and getting to know those athletes, but, you know, in terms of the game planning and, and it's one thing, it's, it's certainly different to elevate an analyst and, and, and make that, that transition, but, but doing it uh, with the pressure of, of games, you know, some, some big games early in the season too for ASU um, and, and the weight of expectations, you know, that this is really a program that has been building to this moment to where this was supposed to be the year where they had all the veterans, the, the offensive line yeah, was, was that's, experienced. That's kind of why I think they're going to try to drag this out a little bit because you might have a chance to get a banner. And even if the NCAA takes away a banner, you and me and God saw you win the banner, but potentially staking an awful lot on a chance to maybe go 10 and two and win the Pac-12 South. I think that's certainly a decision you could make. It, it probably wouldn't be the one I would make. Well, and, and I think, you know, ASU and in, in, in general is just such an interesting case, you know, to kind of get back to the state of the Pac-12 is, you know, we've mentioned USC, we've mentioned ASU, you know, the, these are very much universities kind of, you know, trying to come up in the world. You know, USC's reputation, you know, academically has been transformed the last two or three decades, you know, really going back to that Pete Carroll era. I mean, everybody talked about this being the University of Spoiled Children. You know, that reputation has been slouched off a, a little bit uh, recently. They're one of the more selective private universities out there. They've got one of the biggest endowments. In, in the country. I think they're you know, top 10, top 15 in terms of the endowment. ASU, now, under Michael Crow, we, we mentioned him as, as one of the presidents to kind of know in this league. He, he's been there for a long time. He's not only transformed ASU into one of the bigger universities, literally the, the number of students in the bigger universities in the country, but uh, they, they've been on the forefront of online education. You know, they, they've been doing a lot of stuff in terms of the, the development uh, in, in the land around Tempe and, and ASU in, in general uh, down there in the Phoenix area. They've branched out. They've got satellite campuses in, in Los Angeles, for example. And so, you know, it, it just kind of been fascinating to kind of see the Pac-12 evolution, not only on the field uh, in terms of the football programs, especially with USC in transition, but also look at a lot of those universities as they kind of made their way through the world. Yes, you have the the academic powerhouses. You have Cal Berkeley, you have Stanford out there, certainly. But a lot of the other universities in, in, in the Pac-12 have really transformed themselves these last 15, 20 years. So and I can't recommend this league as necessarily the most exciting college football league. I certainly can't recommend it as the best quality college football league. I won't recommend it for the best quality college basketball league um, or for a lot of other things. I won't recommend it as the most convenient to watch. You probably didn't even talk about the Pac-12 network. And, and that's, that's a whole other show. Uh, and also there's a good chance that you live in a place where watching Washington State football will be inconvenient for you bedtime wise. All that being said. I can recommend this as a truly fascinating group of universities, a, a very fascinating group of administrative and coaching, not just for football leaders, for a place where we might have delightful, stupid chaos, not just in like the weird Pac-12 after dark rule where somehow Cal's going to lose a game off a walk-off balk, like the first time that's ever happened in college. Oh, no, we found it. It's in the 1911 rule book and you lose, uh, but, but also because... You know, you, if you want to see uh, a, an absolute administrative freakout in Los Angeles, this could be the year to do it. Could you see a team uh, storm through and, and make a, a surprise run to the college football playoff because Alabama and Clemson are maybe a little bit more vulnerable this year? Sure. 
Um, do you want to watch coach get fired a week two? It could happen. Like I, my, my, my recommendation to all of you, even if you are in a place where it is easy to literally sleep on the Pac-12, which is something I'm prepared to do now that my children are old enough to sleep through the night, um, don't sleep through the Pac-12 this year because uh, if there, something stupid is going to happen in, in probably a good way. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a fascinating just league to watch football-wise. You know, I think you, you go back to the, you know, a, two, three decades ago in terms of the, the offensive evolution that the league has had, the, the number of quarterbacks it's produced uh, over the years. I mean, it's, it's wild to think, you know, covering Aaron Rodgers and, and going back even in, in, in basketball and in some of the other sports. I mean, the, the Pac-12 does like to to puff their chest out about being that conference of champions. But like that, that means something to a lot of these athletic departments. They, they have committed themselves to being those broad based, uh, you know, universities with with deep, deep pockets, not only to to fund a lot of these sports, but, you know, really making them a priority. And, and like water polo, uh, you know, soccer, certainly you know, like there, there are a lot of, uh, of of those, quote unquote, non-revenue sports that that are very important to these these universities. And and that's resulted in in just recently. I mean, you look at, at the Olympics wrapping up Stanford, USC, UCLA, producing a lot of these athletes that we saw uh, over there in Tokyo. And and I think that that's obviously going to continue to happen because uh, that, that's been a priority for a lot of these schools yeah and so th- th- this is this is the league that every year produces more olympians than like germany right this is this is a top 10 metal producing conference and I, when i used to work at vox this was always one of our highest performing posts during the olympics right is our stanford and cal blogs which are typically smaller uh would, would, would produce the infographic that shows like the cal bears are like the the, the seventh greatest you know, metal producing country in the world and stanford's ninth and so their retro rates and montebanks and everything and like great that's you should be proud of that. Um, we are going to continue this 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 uh, preview series in the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to do the Big Ten next. I think we want to hold off on the Big Twelve because we want to make sure there's still a Big Twelve for us to preview before we get into that and maybe have a better idea what that looks like. And um, we have not forgotten the non-power conferences as well. We have an expert lined up to chat about a couple of those and those interesting storylines. Um, you can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter at Extra Points MB on Instagram. We just started that, figuring out how to use it because I'm an old, um, at extrapointsmb.com. Brian, where can we find you? As always on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Best place to find me and all my musings now that we got soccer back. There will, there will be a few soccer tweets. I, I apologize for those that, that do not follow the beautiful game. But, uh, you know, calls. he's not sorry. No, no he's, you're not. You're not sorry. And it's OK, because every other third college football reporter is screaming about some soccer team, too. It's fine. It, well, it, it's a good time. You know, the, the soccer season is starting up, which which inevitably means f- the real football, college football is, is right around the corner. And, and we're seeing camp tweets now. It's, it, it's great to see, um, you know, football does seem seem back. And while we're dealing with a whole whole host of issues out there, um, you know, we're, we're going to get some games and, and they are literally right around the corner. We're, we're only a few weeks away now. Yeah, don't. Um, th- uh, that's both wonderful and also a little bit of a bummer. I, 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 w- I want to try to save these last couple of weeks here in summer while I can. Uh, folks, thank you for listening. And, and by the, just real quick, we haven't done this in a minute. If you enjoy this show. We are blessed that the, this show's audience has grown significantly over the last month. If you enjoy it, maybe give us a nice rating on iTunes. Maybe tweet it and let your friends know on your message board or in social media or your, 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 your buddies here at the conference office or your athletic department. Let them know that we produce a pretty okay podcast and they'd, you probably enjoy listening to it too. That helps us uh, continue to make more podcasts. 
And then, so like, share, subscribe, all of those things. Uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>